Would you pray with me, please? Lord, it's our privilege to be here and to meet with you and to learn what your word has to say for us today. God, as we open it, I pray that you would speak directly to our hearts and to our minds. I pray that as a church and as individuals that we would be impacted by it, both individually and collectively, as we move forward. Thank you, Lord, for your word. It's truth. Some of you may know that pitchers and catchers reported for spring training this week, and so for me, I can come alive again. I've been hibernating all winter. I pretend like I follow football and basketball. It's really just to get me through to baseball season, and pitchers and catchers are now there, and the hitters are arriving, and it's glorious. I heard someone say earlier today that it's almost fishing weather, and I agree with you. It's almost baseball weather as well, so... Anyway, you know, it's interesting to me. I, I have the privilege of being involved in baseball in our community in a variety of different ways, and, and I, I love it, as you all know, and I've long since stopped apologizing for talking about it because if I did, I would apologize all the time. You get really tired of me, more so tired than when I talk about it, so I don't. But, but I have the privilege each Wednesday from about 9 to about 10.30, I go on a local talk radio show, and I get to talk baseball for about an hour and a half every week. And some of you knew that, some of you didn't, but it's on 1340 AM, and I'm on there, and I get to ramble on about things that I pretend like I know about. And, and one of the things that we talk a lot about is how to evaluate whether a player is really good or not. Now, some of you who have followed baseball, even casually, will know that baseball is a game that is largely measured by statistics, and some of those that have been most prevalent over the years are batting average, the number of hits a guy gets per at-bat, uh, you also have home runs, you have RBIs, runs batted in, you have lots of different things. For pitchers, they typically have measured how many games a guy wins, what his earned run average is, how many he strikes out, how many walks. But as I have learned more and studied more, I realize that I think in a lot of cases, the way that talent and the way that players have been evaluated over the years is probably not the best way to look at it. We're using traditional methods to to, to view something and to look at it, and maybe it's not the best. Maybe those are some of the more minor statistics, and there's a better way to find out if a player really is good. Now, I say all that because I think when we look at church and when we look at growth in the church and growth in individuals, I think the same thing is true. I think in many cases we have looked at traditional things that don't really give us the full picture of whether we are truly doing what God wants us to do. In fact, when you consider that traditionally, churches are measured by what's known as the three B's. You have bodies, budget, and buildings. Now, maybe you're not familiar with those things, but every church conference I go to, that's what people talk about. How many people are coming to your church? Now, pastors don't like to, to talk about that in a way that makes them feel as if well, I, that's what I'm going to lead with. But every time, inevitably, I go to a pastor's conference, that always comes up. The question is, how many you're running? That just means how many folks show up on a Sunday morning. So you have bodies. Then you have budget. What, how much money do you all have coming in? What, what's the church budget for the year? And then you have buildings. You know, 
have you, have you added on? Do you have any expansion? What's your building like? And so typically what we see is that a church that has a lot of bodies, a huge budget, and really nice buildings, we naturally assume that's a great church. And in some cases, that assumption is absolutely 100% correct. Just because a church has a lot of people and lots of money and nice buildings doesn't mean there's anything inherently wrong with them. That's not my point. And then on the flip side, we also look and say, well, if a church doesn't have a lot of people, if the budget is struggling or just the giving is, is down, and maybe the buildings aren't as nice as they once were or what they'd like them to be, then, then well, apparently that church is not very good. And in some cases, that's true, but not always. So this morning, I, I, I want to draw our attention to something that, that the Apostle Paul writes about that really focuses us on majoring, not in those minor issues, the secondary issues, but majoring in the majors. A lot of times, of course, we get caught up in those minor things, and I hope today to refocus our attention both as a church and as individuals on what really does God want from us. I think a lot of times we find ourselves asking questions in the church that nobody, or answering questions rather, that nobody is really asking. And we, we go on and we live in our little bubble and we forget that there are real people out in the world who have issues that need to be dealt with. And this morning, I hope that we can grow to be the kind of church and continue to be that God wants us to be for those folks who have some serious questions in life, who desperately need to understand. And so it's not going to be, I'll just give you a heads up, today is not how to about, about how to increase church attendance. It's not about give more money so that we can increase our budget. It's not about a certain part of the building that we need to work on. None of that's going to come up today. Because in reality, what people need is not a church just full of more folks or that gives more money or that has nicer buildings. They need a church that focuses on the majors that we'll see today. And so that's what we're looking at. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. If you've got a Bible handy, Philippians is over in the New Testament. If you don't have one handy, you'll see on the back side of that outline for the sermon a little code that you can scan. If you've got a scan app on your phone, you can scan that and it will pull up the outline. You'll also see, of course, the scripture written right there on the sermon outline. So some way, I just want you to follow along this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Now let me catch you up real quick. What we have here is the Apostle Paul who's writing a letter to a church that he started about 10 years before he wrote the letter. He was their founding pastor. He loved them very dearly, and they have a great relationship with him. He is he is really, really applauding them, loving on them. As we've seen the last couple of weeks, he just writes to them initially and says, Church, it's not about me, it's not about you. And last week we saw, Church, I love you very dearly. And this week he's going to give us the content, the substance of what he said he was praying for them. Over in, in verse 3, he says, I thank God all the time in every prayer. And I'm, I'm constantly praying for you, he says. And so here's where we get the content. Here's what he's praying. Look at verse 9. I pray this that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can determine what really matters and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, Paul knew a thing or two about church. He'd started lots of churches. He'd helped lots of churches. And if you figure anybody knows how to help a church grow, and help a church really get to where they want to be, Paul is the guy that you'd want to hear from. So maybe you'd expect in this particular letter that Paul would say, Church, let me tell you what you really need to do now. 
you've gotten a good start, you've been there for about 10 years, and so now what you need to do is launch a few new programs geared toward reaching this particular audience. Or church, here's some ways to increase giving, and that way you can have a bigger budget and maybe you'll see some more folks come into your church. Or, or church, you just need to tighten things up administratively. You know, there's a lot of waste going on, and, and your decision-making process is awful and whatever. And those are the major things that you need to focus on. Paul tells us nothing about any of that. And I really believe that as the Holy Spirit speaks through Paul today, what we get is God's plan for church growth. We see the idea here that here's God's idea for what should you focus on. Paul's writing to this church, a wonderful church. I'll be honest with you, as I told you last week, reminds me a lot of Elm Grove. I told you that. I understand where Paul's coming from with a great relationship, loving relationship between this pastor and the church, and that's the way I feel here. And so I think Paul is telling them, look, you're doing some great things, and let me reinforce those, and let me encourage you to stay on track with those. And so how to major in the majors here, God's plan for church growth. I just want to mention this to you sort of parenthetically, as you'll see there on your bulletin. Our church may or may not get bigger. You understand that? It may get bigger. Now, some of you, that scares you to death. Just warning you up front, our church may get bigger. That's not going to be because we're setting out as that's our end goal is simply to get bigger. That's not my end goal. If that happens, then praise God, he's brought more people to us. That's his deal. Now, we're going to do all we can to go and make disciples and be obedient to Jesus to reach out beyond these walls and to do what we can to see lives impacted, not just those that are coming, but those that God is sending us to. So our church may grow in size and numbers. It may. If you're not okay with that, I'm just going to tell you, if you're not okay with the fact that God may bring new people and more people here, we're probably not the church for you because we're okay with that. Now, I will say the flip side is we may not get bigger. We may stay the exact same size until Jesus returns. You understand that? And if you're not okay with that, if you're not okay with the fact that, you know what, we're going to do all we can We're going to love God as best we can. We're going to reach out as best we can. We're going to love those who come here, and yet we may not grow in size. If you're not okay with that, probably not church for you. Now, am I trying to get rid of anybody this morning? Nope. I'd love for you to stay and stick around and come back next week. But I just want to be honest with you. We may or may not get bigger, but we must always be growing. We're going to see this morning what God says we must increase in, how we must grow. Our church may increase in size and numbers, and praise God if it does. Our church may reach a size, and God says, all right, that's it. And you guys, now you're going to be as fruitful as you can be in whatever size you are, and praise God for that. But regardless, we have to be growing in the things that God says to grow in, and this must be our focus. So I hope you understand where I'm coming from. My goal this morning is not to say, well, if we do this, this, and this, then we're going to double in size. I've been to those conferences. I come back from those conferences, I'm fired up, I'm ready to tell you all about it. And you know what? None of that stuff ever worked. It doesn't work at all. It worked over in that one church over there, but you know what? They forget that God was in control of that in the first place. I'm not here to tell you, let's do A, B, C, D, and E, and then boom, lights up. I'm just here to tell you what God has to say about what we must always be growing in. The first thing that Paul lets us know Influenced, certainly inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says we must have increased love. Now, I'm just going to tell you, that's at the very bottom of your outline. I just, I, I, I should have told you that up front because I know that's a shocker. 
and we're going to start at the bottom. You know how I told you that we've been looking at the wrong things? We're actually going to look in a different way this morning. Instead of starting at the top and working down, we're going to start at the bottom and work up. We're going to change the way we view how God thinks we should grow a church. Increase love. Now, it appears to me that one of those things got cut off there, so I'll give you the first one. It's based upon first personal relationship. You will see that in there. Increased love. Based first upon personal relationship. Look at this. I pray this, that your love will keep on growing. Now, first of all, we have to understand Paul gives no object to their love. Not your love just for God or your love just for other people or your love just for those in your church. He just says your love in general. And so we can assume that he's applying that to all of those different things. That, that that increased love not only is applied to God, but also to others. And he says that it will keep on growing, so there's no object and there's no limit. There's no limit to this love. For Paul, who knew a thing or two about church, as I said, love was foundational for relationships in the church. If you want to write down a reference real quick, write down 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And I'll... I'll read this to you just to highlight how important it was to Paul that people within the church increase in their love. Paul's going to say all these things to the Corinthians about what they're probably not doing right, and he's going to say, ultimately, here's what, it's come, what it comes down to. He says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak the languages of men and of angels but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Extremely important, as you see in Paul's writings, that love was what was foundational for church and certainly for all of the church growth. It's increased love, he says, first of all, based on personal relationship. Keep on growing in knowledge. This idea here is that we would know God, know others better, and that would then increase our love for them. The more that you know God and get to know Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, the greater your love will be for Him. And the greater your love for Him, the more you will want to know and to understand Him. Paul talks about that, that, that knowledge is not here just head knowledge. This word knowledge he uses is experiential knowledge. That you've gotten to know somebody through being with them, through interacting with them. Certainly we get to know God through his written word, the scripture that you may be holding in your hands right now, and also his living word. The Apostle John told us in chapter 1 of his gospel that the word, living word, Jesus himself became flesh, became one of us, and lived among us. Jesus, the very living word of God. Based upon personal relationship, this love increases in knowledge. I'll tell you this, my love for the game of baseball has only increased the more that I've known about it. The same is true and even more, obviously, in our relationship with the Lord. The more that we know Him, the more we love Him. So this week, I just want to encourage you. You say, I'm struggling spiritually. I'm not sure that I really understand the Lord. But let me encourage you to build your week around experiencing Jesus this week. I wonder what spiritual disciplines, I wonder what you might need to build in as a practice this week. Maybe it's reading the scripture, maybe it's some music, maybe it's prayer time, whatever it may be. Build your week around experiencing Jesus. Paul talks about personal relationship of knowing God, and also, of course, included there is knowing others. Now, this is scary because when you know somebody, you're going to see everything about them. There are some folks who go through life and they don't know anybody, and they're not known by anybody because of 
the flaws that they might see or might have seen. When you get to know somebody, you're going to see their flaws. And some of the things will be appalling. Some of the sins that people have just absolutely make us sick. You realize that we have sins that make them sick too. Ultimately, all of our sin just makes God sick. You'll see their flaws, but you know what you'll also see? As you get to know people, as you truly get to know them, you'll see their need for Jesus. You know, it's so hard, isn't it? I really, really struggle with this myself. When you see people, whether it's in the church or out in the world somewhere, and you see people who are living in sin, and you know obvious sin, you can see it. And they're not ashamed of it. You know, in the church, we, we, we hide it pretty well. We're ashamed of our sin because we recognize that, that, that here it's, it's, it's God is obviously lifted up and, and we understand his stance on it, so we, we hide it. But you know, out in the world, it's not hidden. It's becoming less and less hidden, isn't it, on a variety of levels. And you know, at first, what's going to happen is you begin to try to get to know folks like that, it's going to make you sick. But do you know what ultimately you're just seeing? You're seeing their need for you're seeing their need even if they don't see it. You're seeing their brokenness even if they don't see it. And maybe as you get to know somebody, your love for them will increase as God stirs your affection for them because they, just like you and just like me, they need Jesus. I can't give you any better message this morning, as cliche as it sounds, other than you and I need Jesus. Maybe you recognize that this morning, maybe you don't, but I'm going to tell you regardless that you do. I do. And those folks that you're struggling to love, they need Jesus. And maybe if you know them on that level, if you understand them and you say, you know what, I, I don't like what you're doing, and boy, it makes me sick, but it just points me to your need for Jesus and your brokenness, and I'm going to love you because of that. Because Jesus has loved me, I can love you. Increased love based upon personal relationship. Also, Paul points to this practical application Look at verse 9 again. Keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Some of your versions that you may be holding may say perception or understanding. The idea here is that love must be lived out in the world in which you live. Love that's just talked about, knowledge that's just in your head doesn't make any difference at all. It must be lived out. And so as we truly love God, as we truly love others, there will be a change in our outward behavior, our practical application of that. True love that's based on real knowledge of God and real knowledge of others is put into practice. It's put into action in all kinds of different situations. Don't we need to know, God, how do I love you in this situation? God, what does love for others look like in this? And how do I handle what I'm going through? God, I had no clue. This is a new thing for me. He says, growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, perception in all situations as to how do I love God and love others? I'll just tell you, the first point there is longer than all the rest. And the reason is because that's the essence of all of love. If you look at the rest of it, it's a so that. It's, here's the results now of this increased love. You want to know what God's growth plan is for the church, that we would increase in love for him and love for others. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, when asked, what is the greatest commandment, said, love God with all you are, 
and love others as yourself. And what does Paul here point to that the church must be about? Increasing in love for God and for other people. We may not get bigger because of it. I don't know. But that's what we're called to increase in. And when folks interact with us, whether it's individually out of the community or whether they come here on a Sunday morning and they see us gather together, what they must experience is our increasing love for God and love for them. That's the essence of Paul's prayer. That's the church growth plan. Love God more, love others more. I wonder what if it's true that we've been doing church growth wrong for decades. That all the five-step processes, all the things, do this, do that, and so on, are secondary issues. Not unimportant. Does a church need administration? Yes. Does a church need to make decisions correctly? Yes. But what if those are secondary issues built out of an increasing love? What if that's really the main thing? What if we majored in that major and we said no matter what, we're going to increase in our love for God, our love for other people? What if we then get to experience the incredible results that Paul talks about? Look at verse 10. So that you can determine what really matters. Again, like I said, the whole rest of this prayer is a so that. Paul says, I want you to increase in love, first of all, so that you can increase in discernment. You can have increased discernment. That's the next thing as we move up the ladder there on your bulletin. Increased discernment. Determine what really matters. Some versions will say the things that are superior. Now, certainly this helps us with right versus wrong. We, we, we understand that as we love God more, as we know Him more, we'll get a, a much clearer picture of what's right and what's wrong. But really, that's not what Paul's talking about. Isn't it true that many, if not most of the decisions in life, come down not to what's right and wrong, but between what's good and what's best? How many decisions are like that in the church? Paul says, I want you, church. Remember, he's writing to a group of people, not just to individuals. This doesn't apply just to you. This applies to us, that we would determine and understand what matters most. The biggest help we need is between good and best. Because most things in the church and in our lives come down to those two options. Think about it in the church. We have to decide all the time between the good and the best, how to allocate our time and the money that God has given us, and the people that volunteer, and all of our resources, and our efforts, and our energies. We have to figure out, God, what is best for us. We could say okay and yes to a lot of things, but is that best? Well, it's, it's good to do this. Certainly it is, but is it best to do that? You know, in your life, it's the same way. If you're choosing between jobs, it's not always between good and bad, right and wrong. Sometimes it's between good and best. It's the choice between those two things. It's, it's where to send your kids to school and how many activities to be involved in and how many commitments should you make. And what should you do each week? And what should you give your money toward and your energy and your resources? Lots of good things. Paul's telling them, look, you can increase in discernment as your love increases based upon knowledge of God, knowledge of others, and putting that into practice. Then your discernment, your decision-making will also become more proficient. Paul doesn't want them wasting any time, any energy, any money, any effort on anything that's not most important. It doesn't really matter. Think about how many churches, how many of you all have been a part of this before, I'm sure, whether it's here or elsewhere. Churches that make a lot of decisions, but none of it really matters. Have you been there? You don't have to say amen because I know folks are going to look at you and, you know, 
But isn't it true? Now listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes when you show up for a meeting at church, don't you really want it to matter, and sometimes it doesn't feel like it does? You ever been there? No, I, y'all can fire me after this. That's fine. Sometimes, doesn't it feel like, why in the world did I go to that? That didn't make any difference at all. Somebody else could have done That's not what I want to give my time. That was a waste of my time. Why in the world did I do that? Isn't that interesting how many times in churches, not just here, but certainly everywhere, how much energy we waste because what we're making decisions on isn't necessarily the best. Good stuff. Important stuff. How many arguments in church happen over stuff that's in the minor issues? I tell you what, I don't mind us arguing, provided we're arguing over what really matters. You understand? That's worth arguing for. That's worth getting excited about, trying to figure out as we rub against one another and say, God, what's best? That's worth getting excited about. The decisions you make in your life are obviously that way as well. Wouldn't it be great to be able to say, you know what? As I love God more, I increase in knowledge of Him. I'm putting that into practice. I I can see now how God is helping me and helping us really to determine what's best in our life. And we're saying yes to the things that are most important, what really does matter. And in my life, I'm leveraging myself toward those things that really, really matter. What a great, great experience that would be. This week, I I hope that you'll join me in praying, God, help me and help us to see what matters. Church, in fairness, I don't believe we're just taking up space and wasting time. But Paul is writing to a church that's great, just like ours. And he's saying, I just want you to increase even more. Don't ever take it for granted that you already know what's best. Continue every single day, every week, to increase in your discernment. So as we build, Paul says, increase in love. That's the foundation. And as a result, you'll have increased discernment. He goes on to say you'll also have increased holiness. The end of verse 10. He says, so that you can determine what really matters and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. As we increase in our love, we increase in our discernment, which brings about an increase in holiness. Paul talks about the inside and the outside here. The word pure that he uses is talking about the inside. Having integrity, being sincere, being transparent, being really who we say we are. It's a daily and continual progression toward becoming like Jesus. It's not about a list of rules. Let me just tell you, for those of you that came this morning, and maybe your church experience has been one list of rules after another. Does God have standards? Absolutely. Does God have a list of rules that you have to live by in order to please Him? He doesn't. You realize what the Bible says that pleases God is faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, the writer of Hebrews says. Trusting the Lord, obeying the Lord, loving the Lord, that's what He wants you to do. Following the list of rules of some church, not on God's list of how to please Him. I'm thankful here that we have gotten past, it seems, over the decades, a lot of those rules that we had. I listen and I I get a kick out of some of the old rules in the church that used to be present. Where the guys sat, where the ladies sat. All of those things that I've heard stories about. Isn't it great now that we just say, you know what, let's just come and love God. Are there standards? Absolutely. Please don't misunderstand me. But folks don't need a list of rules. They need Jesus. They really, really do. 
complete surrender, total commitment to Him. It's more about following all the rules. Give your life to Jesus and let Him help you figure out what to do differently. He'll help you live in obedience. Our prayer is, Lord, make us pure. Make us full strength, not diluted. So that's the inside. Paul also talks about the outside, to be blameless. It's the outside evidence of this inside purity. That means that we're not causing anybody to stumble. You, you realize that, that we, we must do nothing, that nothing we do besides our insistence, our absolute insistence that the cross of Jesus Christ is the only means for salvation. Unless you come to faith in Him alone, you cannot and you will not be saved from your sins. Un, the only thing that we should put in the way of people trying to get to Jesus is the cross. That's it. It can't be us. It can't be what they wear. It can't be what they look like. It can't be how they talk and all those things. It can't be where they're from. The only thing that is in the way is the cross. It's the only stumbling block. To be blameless means we don't put anything else in the way but that. Yes, we tell the truth. But I'm never going to back down from what the truth of Scripture says. I'm not going to do that. But I also, as an individual and as a church, I, I, I really pray that as we speak the truth, as we hold up the standard of the cross, that we also give to folks the love that Jesus dispersed when he lived and died. It's possible to be both and. We're commanded in Scripture to speak the truth in love. Jesus always did it. Pure and blameless leads us to being prepared for Christ's return. Paul says that you'll be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. It's not just pure and blameless for right now and then next week we'll try it again and so on and so forth. Our church, our individuals to be pure and blameless, holy before Him until He comes back. To be able to present this church, Elm Grove Baptist Church, to say, Lord Jesus, here we are, as pure and blameless as we can be. The holiness that Paul talks about leads to an increased fruitfulness. Now, fruitfulness is kind of a churchy kind of word. I understand that. But I honestly couldn't think of anything better to describe what Paul was saying because this is the word that he uses. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Increased fruitfulness. To be filled, when we're growing spiritually, we're going to produce the fruit. Things will grow out of us that spiritual growth produces. Paul told the Ephesians in Philippians chapter 5 that it's Jesus in us to be filled with His Holy Spirit. He told us in Galatians chapter 5 what that fruit then looks like. What He's going to produce in us is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things that are produced as we continue to grow in the Lord. For our church and for you as an individual, Paul says, that only comes through Jesus Christ. You realize that your love, your joy, your peace is all incomplete apart from Jesus Christ? It's manufactured. It's a facade. It's not real. It's not true. It's not deep. It's only what you as a human, a sinful human can muster. But when Jesus lives inside of you, it's His love. It's His joy. It's His peace. It's His patience. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's Him in you, and then it's unlimited, and then it's pure, 
and then it's holy, and then it's real truth. It's Jesus working in us, and then as a result, it's Jesus through us. You realize that fruit on a tree isn't hidden, and it's not just for the tree to re-consume. It's meant to be a blessing to others. It's meant to be evident to others. So as we produce fruit, both as a church and as individuals, this is our call to reflect and to apply the character of God. We may not get bigger. We may get huge. I don't know. But we must always grow fruit. There must always be fruit of the Spirit present in our lives and in our church. That increased fruitfulness then leads to what Paul closes with, which is increased praise. Increased praise. The end of verse 11, Paul says, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The bottom line, as we talked about the very first sermon of this series, it's never about us. If our church gets bigger in size, you know what? It's not about us. We didn't do it. If our church never gets bigger in size, it's not about us. As if there's something wrong and we need to be fixed. If, if great things happen through the ministries of our church and people's lives are influenced, it's not about us. If we apply ourselves over and over and over and it's just like a grind week after week after week and we don't see what we'd hope to see, it's still not about us. All of that fruit of righteousness that God wants to produce in and through us is for one purpose, the glory and praise of God. We'll never be able to take credit for it. We'll never be able to, to somehow say, well, look what we have done. The purpose of God growing us in and through us is for His glory and His praise. It's never about us. This week, I want to challenge myself and challenge us as well to prepare to praise God with the church next week. And that means you've got to come back. You're obligated now. You've already signed up for that. But I really do mean it. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes the busyness of the week makes me forget. The only time that I praise God, that's only with the church on Sunday morning, but I'm not really praising God. I'm just kind of putting on a show. And so maybe this week you'd join me in saying, I'm going to prepare to praise God with the church next Sunday. You know how you do that? You praise Him this afternoon, tomorrow when you get up. Tomorrow afternoon and the next day and the next day and the next day, it becomes simply a habit in your life that you just praise God. And in so doing, you are prepared to praise Him with the church next week. I'm not saying that would result in some emotional outburst next week. It's not my point. I want for me and I want for us to daily praise God. And then when we come together, it's a collective celebration of who God is and what He's done. What do we do with all of that? All of that sounds really good. And there's a, there's a long explanation here of what Paul is talking about. What do you, what do, you do with that? Okay, I, I see what he's saying. I challenge us and myself included, let's major in the majors. 
We may or may not get bigger, but we must always be growing in what's most important. And so for our meetings that we have, for our Sunday school classes, for our worship services, for our ministries that we do, whatever is associated with Elm Grove Baptist Church, let's be sure that it rests securely on the foundation of increased love for God and love for others. And let's let every decision we make flow from there. I also want to encourage you as an individual to pray like Paul prayed. I really do covet your prayers for this church, just like Paul did. I guarantee you that your spouse, if you're married, would love for you to pray just like this. I would venture to say that even if your kids don't know it, that the prayer they need you to pray is this one. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, your friends, they may or may not even care that you're praying for them, but pray this, that your love would would keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can determine what really matters and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You say, I don't know exactly what to pray. I'm not sure how to pray for somebody. Three verses. You know, they're on the prayer list, but I don't know anything about their situation. I just see all those names there in the bulletin or on the screen. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. Pray like Paul this week. Parents, pray that for your kids. And then, as we've talked about the increased love, Let me encourage us collectively and individually just to love like Jesus loved us. None of us are worthy of his love. Not a single one has done anything that we can say, look at me. All of us have sinned, the Bible tells us, and we fall short of God's standard. So far short that we can't do anything about it. So far short that the penalty we deserve is absolute death, both here on earth and forever in hell. That's what we deserve. That's bad news. Let me tell you, it's awful news. It's absolutely awful news that apart from Jesus Christ, no one, not you, not me, not anybody you know, not the best person you've ever come across, no one gets to God without Jesus Christ. No one goes to heaven without Jesus Christ. Not even that best person that you say, well, surely to goodness, if anybody deserved to get into heaven, it's them. Nobody deserves to get into heaven. Only Jesus deserves heaven. That's all the bad news. The good news, which is what the the word gospel means, is that in Romans 5, 8, it says, while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love. And while we were still in the midst of it, In the depths of our sin, Jesus died for us. And it's his death that takes away God's anger toward our sin. And it's faith in him alone that gives us forgiveness. And it's his resurrection that gives us the promise of new life, both here and forever. Love like Jesus has loved us. You get a glimpse of the love of Jesus for you. It'll change the way you love him. It'll change the way you love others. We may or may not get bigger, but we can always grow. Let's increase in our love for God.
this morning that you have at least gotten a glimpse of the love of Jesus for you. He loved you and gave himself up for you so that you could be with him forever. You receive that by surrendering your life to him. He told us in his word that you may think you're losing everything, but you're gaining whole world when you give yourself to him. And by refusing to do that, you are surrendering your own soul in order to gain what this world has to offer. Maybe this morning your prayer needs to be one of complete surrender to Jesus, calling out to him, Jesus, save me, forgive me, I give it all to you. Maybe it just needs to be one, Lord, increase my love. Jesus, thank you for loving us, for demonstrating your love, not just for saying it, but for doing it. Thank you for the offer of forgiveness and salvation. Thank you that we don't have to earn it, but you did it for us. Lord, may we major in the majors as a church and focus on what you want us to grow in. Lord, we'll trust you to take care of the rest. Help us to love you and to love one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Let's close with a song.